Well, good morning. It's so good to be back with you. I just want to say a word of thanks to Pastor David and you all for, for inviting me back. Uh, and, and as he mentioned, you know, on, on such uh, better circumstances this go around, it's really, it's really a pleasure to be here with you. It's a joy and really an, an honor uh, that I take you know, seriously. Um, my name is Justin Beck. Uh, I am a, a graduate student at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary here in Fort Worth. Like I said last time, I've been teaching Bible for, for years, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to preach on occasion when I get the chance. I was born here in Fort Worth, a local Texas uh, guy, um, born and raised right here. My, a bunch of my family joined us, and we'd love to meet you after the service. My wife, April, and Emma and Ethan are our, our twins, and our mother-in-law, Debbie, and, and my Aunt Sherry, and my dad, Mike. We kind of travel with a kind of an entourage kind of a, a thing sometimes. But yeah, David, Pastor David told me about this, um, this scripture memorization project that you, you guys have been uh, been doing, and, and I, we're going to cover John 3.16 and, and 17 this morning, and I just want to say it's a, it's a wonderful thing to hide God's Word in your heart. I, I commend you uh, for doing it and your desire to honor God uh, in, in that way. So I want to begin with this morning with our verse, and you know, as Pastor David mentioned, you know, I learned it in a different translation too. So if we stumble, we we might we'll get through it, as he said. So if you would say it with me, this is John three sixteen and seventeen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through Him. Through Him. Let's do it one more time. We almost got it. Let's do it one more time. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Let's pray together this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege and the and the kindness that you have shown us that we could gather together and worship you freely today. And, and we know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world this morning that don't have that privilege and ability. We pray for those of our Christian brothers and sisters who are in places of suffering, uh, like Ukraine, with all the devastation and destruction there, Lord. We, we pray that your, your presence and your healing hand and your mercy would be on our brothers and sisters uh, this day and, and, this, and this morning, Lord. And we, we seek you here today. We desire, we desire to honor you and to worship you and to glorify the name of Jesus through, uh, through the preaching and the hearing of the word now. And we confess, Lord, that we need you. We need you this morning. Lord, we, we pray that you would drive out the noise and the, and the distractions 
of our lives that would prevent us from hearing your, your word, maybe even the familiarity with the text that would cause us to, to, to be distracted with what you have for us today. Your, your, your word will not return void. We pray that you would help us, that you would help us to have a, a heartfelt wonder uh, and uh, of, of who you are and what you have accomplished for your glory as we look at your word this morning. And we ask for your spirit's presence to empower us specifically at this time, at this moment as the gathered body of Christ, that you would give us ears to hear your truth, that you would give us eyes to see what you have for us in your word and, and hearts, Lord. Uh, ready hearts to receive it today. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this past week, you know, we too went on a spring break. In, in my family, uh, we went to San Antonio. And so after, uh, and it was crazy, by the way, uh, but, but after, after dinner, we were walking around the uh, Pearl Street Market. It's a wonderful place. And a news crew uh, came up to us as we're walking, and they had one of those big, you know, shoulder-mounted TV cameras. And they stopped, and they, and they said, you know, can we ask you a few questions? You know, and my wife, April, probably the wiser one, she was like, nope, and <laughs> went right across the, the street. She probably made the better, uh, the better choice, but, you know, my kids and I, we, we didn't know what to expect, and you know, we, we stayed and said, sure, we, you know, we could answer some questions. And so the, uh, you know, that camera gets, you know, it gets huge once it's like right here, you know, in your, in your face. But they started asking me questions about, you know, local uh, elections and propositions that were on the, uh, were on the ballot. And, you know, I didn't know all the names on the, especially in San Antonio, the uh, names of the, of those on the ballot. And I wasn't sure about the propositions that, that they were talking about were being, you know, voted on, and so I started to feel like maybe I'm, you know, maybe I made a bad decision. You know, if you all, if you guys remember in the 90s, uh, the Jay Leno, right? Jay Leno used to do that bit called jaywalking, and you have to be a little bit older, you know, probably Pastor David, you know, our age, we would, uh, we would, we would have seen this. So jaywalking, they go out on the street, and they start to interview people, asking them questions about, you know, government and what's and what's happening, civics, and, and, and the funny part is, is because nobody knows, you know, nobody knows, and so I kind of had this, I kind of had this feeling that, you know, that it was going to be funny, but not for, not for me, <laughs> so, you know, afterwards, you know, in hindsight, you realize what you probably should have done, right, I mean, that's the way it always works, you know, perhaps if they had asked me a question about the gospel, maybe I could have, I could have answered them, uh, better. Uh, maybe better yet, I shouldn't have even agreed to talk to them unless I could ask them a few questions of my own. You know, if, if only, if only there was a, a succinct and clear and unmistakable and, and a memorable passage of scripture that we could, you know, tuck in our back pocket, that we could hide in our hearts, that have ready at a, at a moment's notice when that opportunity might arise to witness for Jesus. You know, I've been told that one of our Southern Baptist brothers, Billy Graham, 
before doing a, like a television interview, which he did all, you know, he did these all the time. I mean, they would have to do a sound check. They would have to, to make sure that the microphone and everything was, was working. And so the TV crew would get him and they would sit him down in front of the camera and they would say, Billy, okay, check to make sure, make sure your microphone is working. And most people would say, you know, check one, two, three, or test, 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 that kind of thing. But, but Billy Graham, he would look into the camera and he would recite John 3.16. He would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but inherit eternal life. And when they asked him, Billy, why, why do you do the sound check that way? He said this, quote, because that way, if I'm not able to communicate the gospel clearly during the interview, at least the cameraman would have heard it. For you see, John 3.16, it's been called the gospel in miniature. This tiny passage of scripture is so succinct, it's so concise, it's, but yet it's so powerful and beautifully life-bringing and life-giving. Many have said it's the greatest verse in the Bible, and it certainly is a favorite of of many, probably the one that, that most of us have had uh, memorized, have hidden in our hearts. And it comes from the lips of our Lord Jesus, you know, recorded by John, by the uh, inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit, and it reveals the mysteries of the Father's plans of salvation. You see, it is the gospel. It is the gospel of the kingdom. It is the good news. It is God's great story of his plan for his world and the saving of our souls, all for his great glory. And even the youngest of us, even the little ones can understand it because of its beautiful simplicity but I tell you, even the wisest of Bible scholars and their academic you know, fortresses have not been able to plumb the depths of what is contained in this verse. And trust me, they have tried. They have tried and tried and tried. So first, we begin with God's love. And begins with, for God so loved the world. And so we, we take this all the way back to the beginning, to really to the start of things. You know, before, God, before time began, God was there. If you think of Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before there was anything, there was God in perfect harmony. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existing perfectly as one. In the Holy Trinity. And God exists and is, has existed as the master of the cosmos, the, the ancient of, of days, the, the great architect and engineer of, of creation, the I am, the existing one, Yahweh. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God, all-powerful, all, uh, all omniscient. And when God created the world, if you remember your Bible studies, he created it perfect. He created it good. He designed it and he created mankind in his image to place us in his creation, to keep it and to maintain it and to rule over it under his authority. And we were meant to be a reflection of him in creation. 
His, his love is to be extended to mankind for, for our joy and for, and for his glory, that we might echo back something of his uh, love to him through our worship and, and honor and praise of, of who he is and was and will continue to forever be. You know, the funny thing about love, though, right? You know, you, you, love isn't love if it's forced. So don't try this on a first date. Hi, it's nice to meet you. You will love me. You have no choice. Um, no thanks, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Love is meant to be freely given and, and freely received. God did not desire to create robots and automatons, and that wouldn't glorify his name. But God desires us to freely choose him and echo back his love to himself. And, and so he set Adam and Eve in, in, the, in the garden, the very first of mankind, and he gave them free will. God gave them dominion over everything uh, on earth. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. But he, if you remember, he gave them the one limitation, right? Uh, the test he placed in, in the garden, uh, an exercise to see if they would uh, follow his will and his way. In uh, Genesis 2, 16 says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So you know, of course, what happens, right? Satan comes and sows the seed of doubt. He sows the seed of disbelief. They, they doubt God's goodness and desiring to be like God and, and have an ultimate authority over themselves, they rebel against God. And that, that sin and that sin nature and that ongoing rebellion against God was passed down from Adam and to us today. And we can't blame it all on Adam. We ourselves are, are guilty, right? We continue in sin we continue in sin daily and, and, and unceasingly against him. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, And all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or Romans 6.23, the, the wages of sin is death. God, God said, just as he said in the beginning, that the repayment for sin is death. The just reward of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. The results of sin is death. The, the just deserts, right? The ugly fruit of sin leads, leads to death. And all have sinned and, and all have transgressed the law. And, and even the very best of us on our best day fall short of perfection. So when, when the verse says here in John 3.16 that God so loved the world, I mean, he's talking about fallen humanity. He's talking about the fallen, the sinful, and, rebel, and rebellious humanity. All nations, all peoples, all, every nation, tribe, and, and, and tongue has, has fallen, has sinned, has broken his law. But John, in 1 John 4.8, John tells us that God is love. It's part of his nature. It's part of who he is. It's, it's inseparable from his being. Like God is love, and, and he does love, and he, and he so loved this sinful, wretched, rebellious 
humanity. I mean, just think about that for a moment. This world is hostile to God. Just look at the culture around us. I mean, blasphemers and, and idolaters and, and the greedy and selfish and, and liars and, un, and ungrateful and rejectors of his law and uh, his rule and rejectors, rejectors of his moral order, like bent on destruction. We, we see this around us. But, but something of that is, is in us, and we, we too are guilty uh, before him and need a redemption in Christ. But our text says that God loves and specifically, God loves you. you know, even when you had your back turned to God, now, even in your rejection of Him and, and love for your sin, God loves you. How much does He love you? Well, our text answers that question as well. Our verse that says that God loves to the utmost, that God loves with an infinite, infinite love, and that brings us to point number two, the how and why. How much does God love? Well, look at it there. So much that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet hostile, while we yet had our backs turned to God, Christ died for us. But we might ask ourselves, why? This seems extreme. I mean, why does he have to die for us? Isn't there another way? You know, if God so loves the world, if God so loves us, you and me, a wicked and sinful and rebellious people, then why does he give the Son? If God is so loving, why doesn't our text simply say, for God so loved the world that he forgave, period? Why does it stop? Why doesn't it just say that, simply say that instead? I mean, God desires to show us mercy like a loving father might show a, a wayward child. But you see, God is also perfectly righteous and perfect in his justice and though God is loving, his perfect righteousness and perfect justice must also be satisfied. Let me explain it like this. Imagine you were in a courtroom, uh, like the downtown Fort Worth courthouse, right? And you're, and you're sitting there uh, among, the, among the attenders, and, and criminal after criminal is taken to the judge. The first one is guilty of, of robbery, and, and the next criminal is, is guilty of of murder, and the third one is is, is guilty of, of dealing drugs to to minors. And after and just one after the next, as they come through the courtroom, they are guilty of their crimes. But yet the judge on the at the bench refuses to assign any penalty, and tells them one after the next bailiff, you can let them go free. We would not believe that this was a good judge. We would not believe that what this judge was doing was right. Uh, we would see, you know, in ourselves, we would say that there's an injustice being done, that, that justice was not being served. We wouldn't congratulate the judge on his or her generosity. We would be seeking to have that judge removed from the bench. That's not justice. Now, you see, God, we must remember God is the eternally righteous judge. He is the ultimate judge. He is 
the perfect judge. He seeks to forgive because of his love, but he will uphold justice and he will maintain righteousness. So Paul says in Romans 3, 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God, God's desire to show us mercy, it does not negate his perfect justice. And it's because God is righteousness, because God is also just, that he simply can't turn aside and look past or give a wink and a nod to sin. You see, no sin that has ever been committed will go unpunished. That's the truth. It must be paid for. It must be accounted for. It will either be paid for by Jesus, nailed to the cross, or it will be poured out on the unrepentant, uh, unbelieving sinner in an eternal punishment. That's the, the warning of, of, our, of our sin and in our, sin, our sin nature, where that leads. You know, see, if God is to show mercy, if God is to forgive sinners, the debt of sin has to be paid. And this is why he gave his son, his only begotten son. And we should be careful not to think that begotten here means created. That's not, that's not it. It doesn't mean that. And no created being would be able to repay the, the infinite cost of our rebellion and sin against God. You know, we can describe that word begotten here in Jesus as being of the same essence of the Father, as being equal to the Father. God himself in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, paid the cost for our eternal redemption. If we look at the Nicene Creed, one of the earliest creeds of the church, says it well, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father. You see, giving the Son of God was God's perfect plan of salvation. It is the one and only way for both his love and his righteousness to be simultaneously satisfied. 1 John 4, 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. It was made evident. It was made visible so that we could see it. That God sent, another way of saying that he gave his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, which is a payment, a satisfaction for our sins. So it brings us to, to, to point three. For who? For who did God give the Son? And our text says it clearly. The, the gift of salvation is for whoever believes. I mean, God does not make a distinction any, uh, between Jew and Gentile, between male or female, between rich or poor, between black or white or, or, or brown. Salvation is a gift for whoever, for whosoever would believe and receive it. When the text says believe in him, right, it means more than just uh, an intellectual acceptance 
of the truth. It's more than just a mental acknowledgement of the knowledge that, yes, Jesus came. He was born as a, as a baby. He grew and lived a sinless life on our behalf, and he died to pay for our sins, and he was, and he was raised from the grave. It's more than just a mental, yes, that, was, that is true. You know, uh, James 2.9, right? 2.19, the demons believe, and they shudder. It's possible to understand that something is true, right? And then hate that truth. It's possible to know something is true and ignore that truth. It's possible to know something is true and live your life as though it weren't true. That's not faith, you see. You know, Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, describes faith like this. He said, faith is the yes of the heart. A conviction on which one stakes one's life. You see, now, now belief is like this. It's the heart conviction. Uh, heart conviction is faith. Uh, another way to say belief is to trust. To have faith is to trust, trusting in the Lord. Uh, like a small child would, would trust in its mother's care. Uh, whoever believes, whoever accepts the gospel truth, believes with this heartfelt conviction. The truth, you see, has to make its way from just a head knowledge. It has to make that long track down to your heart and thus become a heartfelt and received truth. And this heart conviction of the faith is a, is a submission of your will. It's a, it's a humbling of your pride. It, it's a rejection of the natural, our natural tendency to say, well, I can make it on my own, and I'm, and I'm good enough on my own, and, and, and I, can, I can have it my way, and, and God's going to look at the things that I've done, and, and my good is going to somehow outweigh my bad. No, that's, that's not the gospel. The gospel truth is, is an embracing that, that we are utterly lost, that that we are deserving of death, that, that but for the work of Christ, we would be lost and undone. The, the, the belief in the work of Christ is a repenting of your sin. It's a, it's a turning away from, from your way and a turning towards His way, a turning away from wickedness and, and rebellion and, and a walking in the light of His life and His revealed truth. So imagine it like this. Let's say you're on a cruise ship. You ever been on a, on a cruise before? They're quite, they're quite interesting times. But let's say you're on this cruise ship and, and you're, having, you know, you're having dinner and the, and the storm comes in and the, the storm is just really wrecking this, this ship and, and the steward bursts in and is shouting, put on your life vest. Put on your life vest and get in the lifeboat now to be saved. And there's water is now pouring over the sides of the ship. And the, and the cruise ship begins to lean at this crazy angle. And wouldn't it be foolish to say to him, but sir, I'm enjoying my dinner. And also, after this, I was going to go dancing. And I'm determined to have a good night's sleep in my cabin tonight. Now, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? But how often did we say just that? to the gospel message of salvation. I'm quite fine where I'm at. I don't see any reason to change what I'm doing. I have no sense of any, 
of any threat, so I'll just continue on as I have been. I mean, perhaps, you know, perhaps maybe you are still saying this to yourself today. Perhaps, perhaps you're, you're missing like the, the craziness of the world around us as, the, as, our, as our culture and our world seems to day by day lean on a crazier uh, tilt. If we recognized our immediate danger, we would say, oh, bless you and thank you, sir. Let me have that life jacket. And you would stand and you would immediately start heading towards the lifeboat. Likewise, by faith, we must put on Christ, Romans 13, 14. We must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We must be washed clean by the blood of his sacrifice. We must be running to him away from this sinking vessel of fallen creation that is coming to an end. And speaking of ends, that brings us uh, to point number four. And this is the eternal ends. The eternal ends. That we would not perish, but have eternal life. You see, you, you have to understand the bad news before the good news is the good news, right? You know, God created mankind and God made you and me uh, with a perishable body because of sin. It's corrupted. But he gave us this imperishable spirit that continues on. I mean, from dust we were created and to dust we will return and our, and our bodies face ruin because of, of sin. They face, they face death, but the spirit, you see, the spirit continues. The spirit is not destroyed, but the spirit Remains. It just doesn't disappear, but it must go somewhere in God's eternal plan. And so the Bible teaches that, the, that this perishing is an eternal, a conscious perishing, a torment known as hell, originally created uh, for the devil and his angels. And Jesus, he describes this eternal perishing, Matthew 8, 12, as, as being cast out into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping of gnashing of teeth. Or in Matthew 13, 42, Jesus says as this, is, this place, he describes it as a furnace of, of fire. Or in Revelation 4, 14, 11, uh, John recounts that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and, and night. That, that is uh, the second death. That is the eternal death. That is an eternal perishing uh, that the gospel is warning us about. But the gospel truth in God's love, you see, is God does not desire that destruction for you. We can see that when we look to the Old Testament. If we look to the Old Testament, Isaiah 30, 18, Isaiah says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Or Isaiah 45, 22, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Or when we look for the, to, to the New Testament, we see 2 Peter 3, 9. Peter says, The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Or 1 Timothy 2, 4, God desires all men, that's all people, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. See, the gospel message, the, the good news of God, is that through the work of Christ, he has made a, a way, the way, the only way, to salvation. 
a way to escape the perishing like the cruise ship going down and to instead receive, inherit uh, eternal life. He has prepared, he has prepared eternal life for those who come to him in repentance, a turning away from their sin and put their belief, their faith, their trust in the redeeming work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it brings us to verse 17, not judgment, but salvation. And so in the light of of what we've seen in verse 16, hopefully verse 17 should be clear to us now. Verse 17 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And we think, well, wait a minute, isn't, isn't Jesus the judge of all the earth? Isn't, isn't he uh, the one who, who sits at the right hand of the Father and judges? Well, you see, Jesus came in this context. He came not as the warrior king that the Jews had expected, uh, the, the warrior king who would drive out the Romans and bring revival to the nation of, of Israel. He, he came first, as you saw last week, Jesus came as the suffering servant. When, we, when you saw that in Isaiah 53, he, he came to suffer. He came to take our sins. He came to die. It'll be at his second coming. This is Revelation 19 when he comes as the conquering king and will bring a future, a future judgment. But the first sending of God's son was that of a rescue mission. Luke 19, 10. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to show us, by example, what it looks like to love, to obey, to trust the Father. Jesus came to fulfill the law in perfect obedience, where we have constantly failed and fumbled the ball at every every step along along the way. Jesus came to bear our griefs, and he came to carry our sorrows. He came to take our stripes. He came to be pierced for our iniquities. He came not to judge, right? But he came to take our judgment upon himself. You see, he came to die, to receive the death that we deserve. He came to die to receive the death that we deserve so that we too might be raised to life eternal with him. This is why why Christ came. This is why Christ died. This was his sacrifice for our sin, that we should not perish but flourish, that we should not be ruined but be redeemed, that we should not face this destruction but that we would delight eternally in the presence of our God, that we should not face eternal loss, but receive eternal life in his light. So can you say the verses with me one last time? John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So in closing here, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't recognize, and we didn't recognize, that this text 
of Scripture. This gospel, it calls out for a decision. I mean, it cries out for a decision. It, it, it asks of us the most and greatest important question that we must answer in this life. And the question is, is like, have you, I mean, not your parents and not your neighbor, uh, not your friend or, or, or not, you, and not your pastor, have, have you received him as your greatest gift? Have you put your faith and hope in the eternal life, the gift of eternal life that he offers through his life and, and death and resurrection? Have you trusted in the truth of his good works and stopped trusting in your own? Have you submitted to his will and his way and his authority, uh, humbling yourself beneath that and saying, not my way, Lord, but, but yours? Or are you still determined to live the Burger King life. Have it your way, right? Make your own path. Live by your own rule. And I think the great question is, do you have a living relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Faith is more than just knowledge. It's a, it's a heart conviction, and it's a living relationship with our Savior. Do you truly know him today? Have you truly received him today? Romans 10, 9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So, I mean, in this place, it's like preaching to the choir, I'm sure. I, I, I know that most of you or many of you have trusted and put their, put their faith in, in, in Christ. And for those that, that do know him and have received him and do believe him, believe in him as Lord and Savior, well, I hope that you are strengthened in this word. I hope that your faith and hope and belief and trust in Jesus is, is grown, that you've been challenged again uh, to follow him in, in obedience and faith and trusting in him. And I pray that God would continue to bless you and to grow you and to reveal the greatness of Christ in, in your heart and in and through your life, that he bless this church and cause you to be a light uh, in the, the darkened world that's around us for the glory of the Father. But friends, if, you, if you've somehow found yourself here and you realize that you haven't believed, and I mean, it seems like there's always, there's always someone that you, you know of him, you know of him, but you don't have a personal saving faith in him. Well, I want to speak to you in this last moment. I mean, God is, is calling you to receive this gift of salvation in Christ. God is calling you to confess Jesus as my Lord, my Savior, and my God. To move past the knowing only about Jesus and to enter into a living relationship with Jesus. Jesus calls you to believe today. You see, his, his arms are stretched open wide. He's ready to receive you. He's ready to forgive you of, of all the, the sins and, and troubles and, uh, and things that have happened in, in, in your life. He's ready to give you a new life, a new beginning, an eternal life in Christ. So don't delay and don't, and don't presume uh, don't presume a day longer on the grace that he is giving you. If that's you right now and you're thinking, 
Yeah, I know I'm not right with God, and I know that I need forgiveness. I want you to know that that's the Holy Spirit moving in your heart. And don't ignore him, and don't, don't suppress the conviction of the truth that's working, that he's working in your heart now. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to have, we're going to have a chance right now to receive Christ. And as we pray, I'm, just, I'm going to invite you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior by faith. So if you would all, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. You've lived a life, your life here on our behalf to make a way for us to be saved. We were lost and undone. We were rebels against you. Yet you loved us so much that you came and you laid down your life to receive the punishment for, for our sins against the Father. We don't deserve it. But you came out of your love to make that sacrifice for us that we could be right with you again. That we could receive eternal life in Christ. That we could begin now, today, and moving forward to walk with you in faith and hope and joy in the light of your love. So as we continue to pray, if you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, I would ask you just right now where you're at to pray with me just quietly in your own heart and in your mind. Lord Jesus, I believe. Help me. I, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin and rebellion against you deserves to be punished. And I believe that you, Jesus, the Son of God, came instead and died for me and paid for my sins. And you rose from that grave. And I want to turn from my sin today. And I want to receive you, Lord Jesus, by faith, by belief, by trust as my Savior, my Lord and my God. Thank you for the promise of forgiveness and everlasting life that I can now have through Jesus Christ. And it's his name we pray. Amen.